Money Sense is brought to you by the Ellenbecker Investment Group, three-time recipient of the Better Business Bureau's Torch Award for Business Ethics and Integrity. The Ellenbecker Investment Group is the only Wisconsin investment company to receive this prestigious award more than once by providing exceptional planning and extraordinary service each and every day. Go to ellenbecker.com. Listen to Money Sun Saturdays at 2 p.m. and Sundays at noon. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Julie Ellenbecker, president of the Ellenbecker Investment Group. Ellenbecker Investment Group is located in Pewaukee, just east of Highway 164 and Capitol Drive in the Town Bank Building. We have another location in the village of Whitefish Bay in the Equitable Bank Building. We're right across the street from Winky, so for those of you who know that community, you know right where we are, and you can stop in and see us at any time. If you'd like to put a voice with a face, check out our webpage at www.ellenbecker.com. My guest today has been on the show in the past, and it's such a wonderful topic uh, for me, knowing that I've got teenagers and we're always looking at our next step for education, which is college, but also to talk in general about college planning, not only how to pay for it, but to increase the value of it over time. And that guest is John Hupalo. And John, as I said, was on the show earlier in the year. He is a nationally recognized expert in education loan finance and college planning. He's an author as well. He's got a lot of great information to share with us today. So I'm going to take a quick break. And when we return, we're really going to dig into college planning. This is a great show for college-aged students to listen to. It's a great show for parents, and it's a great show for grandparents. So stay tuned, and we'll be right back. We act in the best interest of our clients. Hi, I'm Karen Ellen Becker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellen Becker Investment Group. We have been an example of a trusted financial advisor since 1996. We help our clients by determining where they are at in their financial journey and help them understand the fees they are paying as well as the return their wealth is generating. We educate our clients so they know how their money is invested and what legacy they are leaving for their families. Having that knowledge can be empowering and allows for a lifelong relationship built on trust. Call us at 262-691-3200 or visit ellenbecker.com for a complimentary consultation in our Pewaukee, Whitefish Bay, or Bonita Springs, Florida location. That's 262-691-3200. Advisory services offered through Ellen Becker Investment Group, EIG, a registered investment advisor. Since I'm Julie Ellenbecker, president of the Ellenbecker Investment Group. And my guest today is John Hupalo. And John has been on the radio show with me in the past. And I have to admit, I, I, I've listened to it. I've read articles. I've stayed on top of your uh, blog and your LinkedIn feed and all of that because I have college-aged kids. And it's really important. And I, I just can't stress enough how much information is out there and the importance of staying on top of it. And when your most recent uh, topic has, has crossed my desk and as it relates to getting a really good value for that college education, I thought this was a, an excellent venue and an excellent topic to cover today. We have a lot of information. I know we could talk all day long about the importance of planning for college, the best way to pay for it. Um, but today, what I really want to focus on is increasing that return of investments 
while a student is still in college. It's important because I have many grandparents and and parents who talk to me about paying for college. And what's interesting is it sort of that conversation sort of stops once the kids are in college. And one of the studies and the involvement that you've had on kind of increasing this ROI has has really piqued my curiosity. So, John, welcome. Thank you for joining me again today. It's great to be with you again. Thanks so much for taking up this topic because I agree it's really important and there's lots to talk about. Well, and I'm in, I've encouraged the grandparents to stay and listen, the parents to stay and listen, and even the students because a lot of what you're going to share with us today uh, becomes the responsibility of the student. And as a parent myself and, and raising kids and now having college-age kids, really that responsibility for paying it for college fell to me, at least while they were younger. And as they've gotten older, we've had lots of conversations around, you know, their responsibility and the impact of their decisions on college and so on and so forth. But initially, that responsibility fell to me. And now what you're sharing and the information that's out there as our kids get older is that there is a huge impact and a responsibility that they can have on planning for their college. And so, you know, I think this is this is going to be really an interesting show to listen to. And maybe you can just jump in and talk about uh, how this became such an interesting topic for you. Yeah, well, thanks, Julie. I also have uh, two daughters who have been through uh, the college process. One of them is now working, and the other one's still in school. And I, I really didn't understand until that process occurred and they were out that planning and paying for college actually continues right through uh, the senior year of college. And this was really uh, brought to my attention by my alma mater, Boston University, which asked me to come in the fall to talk to Parents Weekend about what parents can do to continue to maximize the return on investment that they're making in their students' education. And when I got to thinking about it, I realized that when we're talking about return on investment, a lot of times financial types like you and I, we have no trouble thinking about that concept. But sometimes families who are not in the financial world day to day, they they say, oh, my eyes glaze over. I don't want to take out my calculator. And I realized uh, to actually maximize the return on investment on a college education, you really don't need a calculator, Julie. It, It really comes down to just a very simple elements of what the return on investment is. It's about minimizing the total amount you pay for the college, so whatever the cost of consuming the college education, minimizing that, while increasing the income you earn as a result of that college experience, so the return. So the cost divided by the return gives you your your return on investment. And as I said, I realize you don't really need a calculator Uh, Because this is an activity that parents and students and grandparents can contribute to while the student is still in college. So the first part is figuring out how to minimize the total cost of college. And of course, that's a really difficult challenge because there's so many facets that go into it. It's selecting the school, it's selecting the course of education. There's a lot of planning that goes into it, you know, filling out the proper forms for financial aid and tuition reduction. But, you know, how can we direct our listeners to focus on first minimizing the total cost? Because once we get that total cost, as you said, it's a simple equation. So when students are actually making a selection of what college they want, they can uh, minimize that cost by looking at in-state schools versus out-of-state schools or perhaps even living at home for a while or maybe going to a community college as a way of reducing that cost um, at the time that they're 
entering school. So that, of course, is all theoretical because now they're in senior year and they're thinking about what might happen. But there are also some things that they can do um, while they're in college to minimize that cost. And the, the simple one, and you're going to say, oh, well, duh, when, when I tell you this, but of, obviously if you graduate in four years, um, that's one way to keep that cost as low as possible. And unfortunately, too many students, in fact, almost 60% of all students who enter freshman year take more than four years. And in fact, many take five or six years uh, to finish their college education. Uh, so obviously, by extending to that fifth or sixth year, means that you're going to pay more for those extra years. And there's a double whammy here, Julie, because you're also then foregoing the earnings that you would have had for those particular years. So if you graduate in four years and go and get a job, uh, that's one way to significantly reduce the overall cost of your education. And it's it's important to really encourage your kids. I know I've, I've recognized this with having kids come home for winter break and summer break. <laughs> if there is opportunity for them to take those interim classes, those J-terms or those summer classes, to keep onto that four-year schedule, I think that is really important because coming home over Christmas or the holidays or summer, um, as you said, it's just sort of delaying kind of that finalization of getting the degree and moving into the workforce. Well, that's right. And my, my daughters, I gave them the same advice. Sometimes they took it, of course. Sometimes they didn't. Uh, but it's important for them to realize that they do have that responsibility um, while they're in school. Another thing that they absolutely need to do, and this is for parents as well, but students really need to make sure that, that this gets done, is to complete those financial aid forms uh, in freshman, sophomore, junior year so that any aid that they were eligible for when they first came in, uh, they could maintain that eligibility. Uh, some, sometimes uh, parents and students think, okay, I'm off the hook now because I'm a, a freshman or a sophomore and I don't need to file the forms anymore. But uh, we know that you do have to file those uh, financial aid forms each year to maintain eligibility for the next year. I've heard many people share with me the, the horror story of losing that eligibility because they didn't fill out the proper forms in the proper time frame. Uh, and it is easy to forget that once you're in the um, you know, drill of being in school and feeling like a lot of those things have been taken care of. I think one of the biggest lessons in, is when you pay that first check and you write, and you pay that first tuition bill, often that part of paying for college that we worked 18 years to try to figure out takes a back seat. And, and that really is kind of a recipe for disaster. Oh, definitely. And I had personal experience with that as well. As you say, keeping track of the deadlines um, it's really, uh, it's, it's more top of mind when you're writing that first check because all these things have happened. You've, you know, you gave your uh, deposit check in May and then more forms come and they're very good about uh, uh, sending the invoice. But I know my daughter just went back to school a little while ago and I was scrambling around to make sure that we made that withdrawal out of her 529 in time. Uh, for her to uh, start that next semester. So uh, it, it is one of those uh, issues that you really need to, to put on the calendar, either your electronic calendar or paper calendar, to make sure that uh, all those deadlines are met and, importantly, the bills are paid on time. Well, and not jumping in and just doing it for your kids. I know that that's really easy for us. It's often easier just to do it ourselves than to encourage them to try to figure it out. But the more we can put on their plate to stay on top of us, uh, the better off it'll be, too, as they try to navigate these types of scenarios in their own adult world. 
No, absolutely right. And, you know, I, I give the schools actually some credit for this as well, because, of course, you know, as parents now, once the student's 18, you don't have much right to their uh, invade their privacy, either academically or with the health forms or any of that. But I know on my uh, my daughter's accounts for each school, uh, they made me uh, a co, whatever it is, a co-signer on that account or whatever, but I had access, so I was getting the emails. Uh, but I would say to them exactly what you said. You need to let me know what, what's there. I get a lot of emails every day. It's your education. Make sure you're giving me the alerts so that we're paying these bills on time. Good, good. So what else can they do to minimize the total cost of college? Well, I, I think really importantly, and this is, uh, seems like it's, it's not quite intuitive, but they should borrow as little as possible. Um, and that goes back to this idea that you said we've been working hard for 18 years to save as much as we can uh, but when it comes time to borrow money, um, it's really important to borrow as little as possible. And uh, unfortunately, I met a woman not all too long ago who I made this comment. She came up to me after when she said, you know, I really wish I had done that when I was in school because I was taking loans to go on spring break and I was taking loans to do some other things to keep my lifestyle up. And now I'm in my mid-30s and I realize that I'm going to be paying these loans until I'm about 40. And when I was 22, that didn't seem like it was such a big deal. But now that I'm 30, 35, I'm, I'm feeling like I, I really wish that I had borrowed less. So there are two parts of that, uh, Julie, as you know. It, it's not just the total amount you borrow, but it's the interest you have to pay on that. Uh, so the more you borrow and the more interest you pay just really delays your ability to go out and, and do other things like maybe purchase a car or, or do some of these other things that you might want to do, including uh, buying a home or starting a family or all the other great things that, that come uh, with the, the benefit of a college education, having some upward mobility and the ability to make a little bit more money. Uh, but try to, again, minimize that amount that you borrow uh, because when you're calculating that return on investment, you need to factor in the cost of borrowing as part of the cost of going to school. Well, and I know when I was in college and I was taking loans out, I was almost always offered more than I would need. And it is tempting at 18 or 19 or 20 years old with very minimal counseling on that. It's very tempting to take out more because it provides you a peace of mind. It provides you some comfort. It allows you to maintain that standard of living that, um, for some reason, we expected to maintain at that age. And so it, it's it's oftentimes easier to borrow that money uh, than I think it is to decline it. I, I agree. And, uh, again, uh, part of what we're talking about here. It requires uh, parents and students particularly to really change uh, behavior or change what they expected their behavior to be. Um, and the, you know, the old phrase, of course, is, you know, it's, it's better to live like a student when you're in school than when you're out. And what you mean by that is you try and scrimp and save and, and you know, cut the corners on the cost while you're in school um, rather than uh, when you're in your late 20s or early 30s when you really want to start having more of the creature comforts that uh, we uh, came to, live, to expect as we, were, as we were growing up. And unfortunately, I think sometimes uh, too many students in the last 15 or 20 years, I hate to say, sound like my father, but, you know, these kids today, but, you know, the reality is that uh, students uh, who had a very nice lifestyle while they were living at home and they try to replicate that in college, uh, may actually be putting themselves uh, behind the eight ball uh, as 
as far as trying to maximize the return on their investment in their education. Well, I always tell my my children I want them to uh, have something to appreciate when they're older, and they don't know what to appreciate or how to appreciate it unless they haven't had it. And so, <laughs> but it doesn't always work that way. So, uh, I think it's important to borrow as little as possible and spend as little as possible while you're in those those college years. Uh, what else can we do to minimize the total cost of that college experience? Well, um, it's not ever too late, really, to also try to find some more of that free money. Um, and by free money, of course, we're talking about scholarships. Uh, but if you go to um, go and Google something as simple as uh, scholarships for college students, uh, there are sites out there. Unigo is one of them uh, that I found some really great information um, on. And there are scholarships uh, and prizes available for freshmen, sophomores, juniors, and, and even some seniors in college. Uh, so when you think about that, that, that could be very, very powerful uh, to have that uh, unexpected uh, amount of money coming in um, while, while a student's still in school. So uh, industrious students uh, who are, are looking for the, uh, ways to defray the cost, uh, they can, can do that. And, of course, uh, you know, the other way to defray the cost, you're not really reducing the cost, but one way to defray some of those costs is to find some internships. You know, you talked about your uh, children coming home, and certainly my daughters as well. I try to encourage them, particularly over the summer, uh, to try to find some paid internships, hopefully in their field, so that they can also get the benefit of understanding uh, what their degree can lead to with regard to job opportunities and, and even the potential for how much money they'll make. Because, uh, sometimes you're uh, thinking of what might uh, be a very lucrative career. It might not actually turn out quite like that. So uh, the internships are a great way to try to uh, maximize some of the income uh, or defray the cost. Um, and then also, you know, I think it's really important uh, for students along this line uh, to really check in and use the resources uh, that are available at their uh, their different uh, institutions, at the colleges themselves. Uh, schools are spending a lot of money these days on career placement, alumni networks, uh, trying to use those networks really effectively uh, to find internships, to find um, opportunities for part-time jobs or any of the other uh, ways that a college student can defray that cost of school. You know, looking for scholarships and all of that is, is I think, pretty expected as you're a senior in high school and you're preparing to go to college. But I've recognized, and as you've alluded to, it's really important to continue to do that and to follow through while you're in school because there are so many opportunities. And I know all of the college websites that we evaluated for our kids, they have they have a ton of scholarship opportunities right there based on different um, areas of study and so on and so forth. So that is really an important piece to keep top of mind. But let's take a break. And when we come back, we will talk about kind of the, the maximizing the income earned from college expenses and that whole experience overall and how you can get really, um, way, you know, as much as you put into it. So we'll be right back. <music> Group. Thank you for staying tuned. My guest today is John Hupalo, and we are talking about college planning. John has been a guest on the show in the past, and uh, just this episode, we're spending a lot of time kind of digging into a level deeper about how to, first of all, minimize the total cost of college 
And then after that, really maximizing the outcome, you know, getting the biggest bang for our buck, I guess, is the way to say it. And we talked a little bit about four or five bullet points on how to minimize that total cost of college. And in summary, you know, one of the things we want to encourage our students to do is graduate in four years. And a lot of times it, it can it can be done. And the more time in high school that they spend focusing on advanced placement classes and, and really narrowing down what they want to learn, the easier it will be to accomplish that. We want to maintain that eligibility for financial aid and staying on top of the schedule. That's the tricky part. I speak from experience on that one. You know, staying on top of that, keeping track of deadlines, uh, borrowing as little as possible. That, I think, as I'm talking with my clients who have students in that 17 to 19 age bracket, they're really, really have a whole different outlook on how they want their kids to graduate college from a debt perspective than how they did themselves. And then lastly, we dug in on really looking into scholarships and staying on top of scholarships, earning money, saving money, working those summer jobs. And then, of course, as you start to develop an interest in a certain area of study, focusing on internships and things that will help you get from point A to point B. So, uh, John, welcome back. Thank you, Julie. Great to be back with you. And that was a quick summary. You spoke so much more eloquently and, and in more detail in the first segment. But, you know, now what I'm really excited to, to hear about is once you've done all of those things, you've figured out your, how you're going to pay for college, you've, you've minimized it as much as possible. Uh, now, in order to get our return on investment calculation so that we can really see the value we're getting, there are a lot of other things that we need to take into consideration to maximize that income earned from the college experience. And so why don't you just jump in and kind of start uh, giving us the lowdown on maximizing this college experience? Yeah, there, Julie, there are, there are a number of, uh, of things that parents and students can do, um, and one of them uh, I think is really important, and, and that's trying to pay interest on any loans that are taken out while the student is in school. And oftentimes, uh, particularly if you're taking a federal loan, and by the way, I think the, the federal direct loan program um, offers the, the best opportunity for student borrowing, and we can talk about that another time, but the, the student loan uh, from the federal government is going to be the best option for almost all students uh, when they're borrowing. Uh, but many times there's an opportunity to, to pay the interest on that loan while the student's still in school. Um, that may be, um, you know, as little as fifty or a hundred dollars a year. So when you do it on a monthly basis, uh, it could be quite quite low. Um, so what I would really recommend is that um, students um, look for that opportunity. And you know, the sort of back of the envelope math sometimes says that it might be as much as one or two uh, cups of Starbucks uh, a week uh, that you'd have to save to uh, to make those payments. Um, frankly, uh, I tried to help my uh, daughters uh, by uh, making those interest payments uh, with them. So if they need a little help, I would just um, help them that way as, as part of the way to defray that cost. Uh, but the reason for that is, is it's really important to try to graduate with a minimal amount of debt. Um, so if you're paying the interest on that loan while it's in school, um, rather than having uh, what we call capitalization, and what that simply means, Julie, you know, is uh, that if I, I borrow $1,000, and at a 5% interest rate, uh, the interest payment for that year would be $50. If I don't make that payment, then they just add that to the balance of my loan. So at the end of that year, I'd owe $1,050, and then I'd pay interest on the 1050 that next year. So um, you can see that pretty quickly, if you keep that amount that you borrow steady, 
um, you're going to have an opportunity then to uh, maximize your return on investment. So that's one thing. Well, and that's um, a great that, financial planning lesson for, for emerging adults in general. <laughs> I think so. You know, the, the compound interest, obviously, you know, earning on earning while student is um, not yet in college. So while you're in those savings years from hopefully birth until maybe they're 17 or 18 years old and you get the benefit of the compound interest, on the other side, you don't want to be penalized by the capitalized interest of paying interest on interest on a loan. So, um, yeah, I, th- I think that uh, there's a great opportunity for financial literacy lessons for parents and students on that very point. So, yeah, thank you for, for highlighting that. It, it's, it's a significant point that can save a lot of money uh, on both ends of the equation while you're saving and also while you're borrowing. There are other opportunities uh, along that line, um, and one of them I hadn't really considered um, until I, I went to Boston University and a parent asked me about a payment plan, and I said, well, you know, uh, that's a great opportunity. Uh, many times uh, colleges offer uh, uh, the ability to pay for a semester on a monthly basis, so rather than having to take out 10 or 15 or how many thousands of dollars are required for a particular semester, uh, they may allow you uh, to pay that uh, over uh, five or six months in a current semester. So you may be paying over 10 or 12 months over the course of the year. Um, many times there are fees, upfront fees for that, uh, but no interest rate. So I, I would encourage folks to uh, take a look at those payment plans to see if that could help them. Uh, because often a parent may have been saving $50 a month or 75 or $100 a month before the student got to school, and now, in theory, they have this $75 or $100 a month or whatever it might be that they could actually be paying uh, toward these payment plans uh, while the student is in college. And if that's the case, then, of course, you're borrowing less and, and having a, a much better um, impact on your return on investment. Uh, so that's one of those uh, opportunities that's uh, a little bit under the radar screen. There's another one, uh, Julie, uh, which has to do with all of these great programs uh, around cash back for credit cards. Um, sometimes there are even uh, cash reward points that will allow you to pay down a student loan or make a deposit into a college savings account. Um, so and that, uh, with that kind of a credit card, you have the opportunity then uh, to have your normal spending rewarded uh, with points or the actual dollar deposits that will pay down a student loan or make a deposit into a, a 529 account. Uh, so I, I like that because uh, I take my credit card out of my wallet too many times each day, and to think that I might be able to uh, pay down my daughter's loan or, or help make a deposit into a 529 without changing my spending habits is really appealing to me. And, and that, you know, I've had many clients who have paid quite substantial amounts towards their tuition by using this strategy. Because you don't even really feel that it's adding up, and it makes a big difference over time. It really does. Um, and each one of these points that we're talking about now um, you know, may um, have a large or a small effect, but cumulatively they're going to have a large effect. If you, you do all, all two or three or four or all of these uh, different uh, ideas that we're talking about now, um, you're really not altering your current course of your spending habits 
uh, you're just reallocating some of that money and saving a significant amount over a long period of time, which will have a very beneficial impact on the return on investment on that college education. Well, and, and as an educator, I'm always really working very closely with my clients on how they can promote this financial literacy with their kids. And everything that we've talked about today is a really great tool to make part of the conversation. These are not things I'm encouraging or you're encouraging adults to take care of or grandparents and parents. This is something that is really important to bring your student in on this conversation because ultimately these are all things that are going to follow them into the next phase of their life. And so as we can start talking about these different situations, whether it's scholarships or credit cards or payment plans or or managing loans, these are all things we want the student to be in on the conversation with. Oh, absolutely, Julie. And you mentioned uh, nicely at the top that uh, I've written a book. It's called Plan and Finance Your Family's College Dreams. And uh, when we got toward the end of writing the book, which is really a a plain English guide to all these things that we've been talking about and a lot of detail on on many more issues like loans and how to save and all that. But it's really meant to be a comprehensive guide for parents from the time their child's born right through the 12th grade. But at the very end, uh, before we gave the book to the publisher, I realized that there there was a chapter missing. And so we wrote a chapter called Financial Literacy for High School and College Students. Uh, because it talks about exactly what you said. It's the, the, we, I, was a, I ran track in college, and we, I used to love to run the relays, and we'd pass the baton from one teammate to another, and I had that image in my head. That's what happened when my girls walked out the door to go to college. I kind of passed them a baton and said, okay, you now need to have responsibility for your life. You're going to take more and more control of it in lots of different ways. And hopefully they have some of these tools with regard to financial literacy to help them along the way. Um, I know I stumbled because, uh, like everyone, uh, they made mistakes, but they're learning from it. But this idea that the student feels empowered and they have the information they need is really critical to help them develop into what lots of us finance guys think about as as a young, maturing consumer um, who we want to be really well-educated so that they're not putting themselves in financial distress right out of college. That No one wants that. It's not good for the family. It's not good for the student. It's not good for the lender or anyone else. And this idea that you're talking about, which is having a good, solid financial literacy discussion. Uh, and when I say discussion, I mean lifelong discussion. You can't do it at the table at 6 o'clock on Saturday and say, okay, here's your lesson for the week. But what the younger students see when you pull out your cash or you make a payment or whatever it is, um, right through this idea of budgeting for college or understanding the difference between uh, paying interest on a loan and not paying interest on a loan can go a long way for a college student. It's, it's really critical, and I'm glad to know that you're counseling your clients to, to help them understand how important it is to have their their children involved in that discussion very, very early. Well, and you want them to stumble and fall and make mistakes when you're there helping them through this process so that you're not dealing with those same mistakes when they're 40 and 50 and 60 years old and have children of their own to care for. Well, that, that's right. I, I made plenty of mistakes along the way, and, uh, you know, you learn from your mistakes. It's an old adage that's absolutely true. And I think, as you're suggesting, uh, to be there as a parent with a little bit of a safety net underneath that so that, you know, if they're going to hit the wall and they bounce off, they know that they'll, you'll get a little support. Uh, that means an awful lot to them. And I, and parents ask me all the time, well, what's the best piece of advice you can give me about how to help my child through this? And I say, that's the, the point. Support them. Uh, let them make mistakes, be there when they need some help, 
uh, but really empower them so that they're feeling like uh, they have the tools that it's going to take to be a really successful adult. Yeah, let them make mistakes. That's the hard sure. one. That's the tough one for all parents. So so jumping back into then um, other ways to kind of maximize that whole college experience overall, what else do you have for us? Yeah, I think uh, this goes back to the students uh, taking responsibility. Um, one of them uh, that, that um, my daughter uh, pleasantly surprised me with, she called me one day and said, I'm going to be a resident assistant next year. I said, well, that, that's really great. What does that mean? Is all she's going to obviously, you know, take care of the, the younger students. But um, she also then got free room and board. Um, and, you know, for many schools, if you're living on campus, room and board can be almost as much as the tuition. Uh, so that was a pretty significant amount of savings uh, that came right off the top of the bill. So we didn't even need to make that payment. Uh, they, they just reduced her uh, tuition room and board by the amount of room and board. Uh, so you can imagine uh, that that is a significant way to increase the return on investment. Well, uh, and the like, leadership skills she developed through that and, and the problem-solving skills and relationship building. I mean, you can't even put a price tag on that. You really can't. Uh, that, that's exactly right. And employers love to see those kinds of uh, leadership uh, uh, opportunities on a resume. I know I do. When I look at students, I see that you know they've been able to manage their time. All the things that you said – um, it's, it's just wonderful, and then there's a financial reward for them as well. Um, I think that's actually a, a terrific point that they realize uh, not only by doing good in the community but actually um, helping others and also helping themselves. There's a real uh, strong uh, reality check there that it's great to, to help folks. It's great to make some money, but when you can combine that, uh, you, you have a really tremendous impact on the community. Well, and, and leadership and peers, you know, as I look at resumes and hiring people and, you know, there's one thing to, to lead younger individuals, whether it's coaching or teaching or tutoring, um, but actually leadership with peers, there's a very huge value to that. Yeah, those social skills uh, that I unfortunately think sometimes are lost through social media are definitely developed one-on-one when you're looking at a peer in the eye and there, there's an issue uh, and you can help them solve the issue or sometimes just like when you're um, in a job situation, you have to sit down with someone who's not doing what they need to do and they, they need some corrective action uh, to be able to do that while you're in college, understand how to do that, what the process is, uh, knowing sort of how the uh, institutions uh, ex- have expectations of students and all, it, it, it's, it's an invaluable experience. I agree. Great. Good. What about other opportunities for, for jobs at school or during that school year? Some students uh, in their financial aid package will have a work-study job. Um, we, we talked a little bit, I think, last time about a, uh, the, the uh, financial aid award letter. It has three components. One is the free uh, money, which is the grants and the, and the um, scholarships that the school might give. Uh, the, the last part is the, the debt. Uh, we just talked about the loans. But there's often a little middle piece there that I call earned aid, and that's a work-study job. Uh, so schools have the ability to allocate out a certain number of work-study hours, um, in, a, in a year or in a semester for a student. Uh, so sometimes uh, students will have that work study on, on their uh, award letter. And I mention this because um, the reality is it's, it's just a part-time job. Um, so they have to go out and actually earn that aid. Uh, it's not taken off the top the way a scholarship might be, uh, meaning you, you have to pay for, for the full amount of tuition, and then you can earn some of that back over time. 
Uh, so for students who do have uh, work-study jobs, I also caution them to make sure that that work-study job is actually optimizing. And what I mean by that um, is that uh, there's uh, potential sometimes to have a part-time job off campus or away from the work-study that might actually pay more and may even have more flexible hours. So um, this idea about um, having a part-time job or a work-study job um, is very, very helpful, much like we were talking about earlier when uh, when the students come home either during a long break or uh, over the summer uh, where they can get a job to offset that. And then the last piece uh, really is just this idea that it's still not too late for college students uh, to take gifts uh, that they may get, holiday or birthday gifts, or sometimes even direct deposits into 529 accounts while they're in college. Uh, what An Invite Education uh, company that I founded, and uh, we like to say that saving a dollar today is better than borrowing one tomorrow. Um, and that means uh, even for pa uh, students or parents or grandparents with uh, either daughters or grandchildren in college, it's really still not too late to save some money because if I can give uh, my daughter a couple hundred dollars in her senior year and it reduces the amount of her student loan, uh, that's absolutely a benefit for the student and another great way to increase the return on investment in that education. That's great advice. John, let's take a break. And when we come back, I'll give you an opportunity to, you know, give us one or two more really solid, great uh, nuggets of information for our listeners in the last few minutes that we have. So we'll be right back. Welcome back to Money Sense. I'm Julie Ellenbecker, president of the Ellenbecker Investment Group. And my guest today is John Apollo. And we have been talking quite a bit about college planning, but not only the planning uh, up to college, but how to maximize and get the best bang for your buck once you're in college. So, John, you just have a few minutes left here to share with us your final thoughts. Uh, and then also, you know, certainly let us know how we can get more information and where the best place is for our parents and grandparents and students to dig in for some more information after today's show. That's great, Julie. Thanks so much. Um, you can uh, take a look at our book, Plan and Finance Your Family's College Dreams. It's available on Amazon for a little under $12, so I'd like to think that's a great resource for folks. Also at inviteeducation.com. That's inviteeducation.com, just like it sounds. Uh, there are in there's information tools and services up there uh, meant to help, help families deal with these issues that we've been talking about. But I'm really excited uh, to, to one more time circle back with the students and what they can do uh, to help maximize this. And uh, the good news is they graduate, uh, they have a job, um, and then the reality sets in uh, that they need to make their student loan repayments. And I think uh, they shouldn't throw in the towel um, at that point. Uh, they should uh, find ways to keep increasing that return on investment uh, by smartly managing those student loans. Um, one, there are a couple of different things that they can actually do uh, to, to do that, uh, some, some really great techniques. Um, one is to try to reduce the interest rate if it's possible. And the way that might be possible, uh, particularly in lower interest rate environments, and I, I know right now we're sort of stable to maybe increasing, but um, when rates go up and down over a period of time, uh, just like some uh, those who have mortgages refinance those mortgages, um, students can look for refinancing opportunities for their private student loans and their federal student loans as well. Uh, so refinancing student loans is now possible to come about the last five years or so. Uh, so I'd encourage students uh, to take a look at that either through banks or credit unions, sometimes some credit card companies or state agencies have these refi, what they call refinance programs for loans. 
Um, the second thing I would um, also encourage uh, students to do uh, is just contact the loan servicer if they have federal loans, uh, because sometimes they'll have four or five or six federal loans uh, over the course of many semesters, and they can consolidate, that is, make those multiple federal loans into one loan. Uh, so there's only one payment. They don't have to worry about having multiple payments and writing all these different checks or sending the money over time. And then, uh, Julia, I, I just think it's really important to for everyone to know, as we said before, everybody makes mistakes. Um, sometimes uh, through no fault of their own, students just can't make the payments. Something's come up, what, whatever it might be. And the very, I'm going to close with this last piece of advice is that if you think you're on the, on the cusp of having an issue, um, call the student loan servicer early as soon as you think you're going to have trouble making those payments uh, because there are all kinds of different federal programs out there to try to help students uh, avoid default. And avoiding default is really critical. Um, you can't escape a student loan. It's bad advice if someone says, oh, don't worry about it. The government will take care of it because that's not the way it works. Uh, so the best piece of advice, if you think you're having trouble, you're having trouble, call the student loan servicer, let them know what the circumstance is, and let them try to help you. John, thank you. That is wonderful information. I wish we had more time to continue to dig in on this. We'll have to have you back as a guest on Money Sense. Uh, and for those of you who would like to share this recording with uh, a friend or family member, there's certainly opportunity on ellenbecker.com to get the podcast and forward it on to somebody else. And in closing, I want to remind you that Money Sense airs Saturdays from 2 to 3 and Sundays from 12 to 1. And as always, we hope that we have made a difference in your personal and financial well-being. And remember, before we plan, before we advise, before we invest, we always listen. Enjoy your day. Your EIG Wealth Advisor can help you control risk, make sure your estate plan is in order, and help you understand your financial plan during retirement. But we can't control one of the largest drains on your portfolio during retirement. That's your health. For that, we'd like to share expert cooking tips and health wisdom from a local expert, Chef Michael Fecker. So stay tuned. Hello, my friends. This is your personal chef, Michael Fecker, and welcome to Food Sense where I try to make some sense of some food, ingredients, techniques, and everything food. Last week, we talked about few techniques that it would make your life a lot easier and make the flavors a lot more intense. We started with blanching, and we, that was, uh, we talked about blanching asparagus or Brussels sprouts. This week, I want to talk to you about braising. Braising, I, I, look, let me put a name on myself. I am a brazer. I love braising ingredients because what happens is I use two different techniques and heat transfer uh, ways of cooking an ingredient. And by mixing the dry with the moist, you get this incredible texture that you cannot get it any other way. Another beautiful thing about braising is you can do it in advance and warm it up later to enjoy. By the way, all of you braise all the time. I bet you do. You use a slow cooker. That is a braising technique. But it is only braising if the ingredient it is not submerged in liquid. That means a portion of your 
liquid um, ingredient needs to stay above the liquid and you need to have dry heat helping the moisture turn into steam and cook the ingredient through. One of the ingredients that we always use braising technique for is, for example, chuck roast, a London broil, ingredients that are very, very tough muscles. But also, don't be fooled. It is not only for proteins. We do a lot of vegetables the same way, such as artichokes, a very tough ingredient that would cook slowly in the braising process and would become soft and moist and enjoyable. Another technique that needs to be used in the braising process is searing. That is another uh, technique that we're going to talk about in details next week. But for right now is when we take an ingredient, we brown it in a very hot surface and then we put it in a pot and then we uh, create the braising liquid and we go on. Braising cannot be done without a liquid. So that liquid is crucial to be full of flavors and full of specific layers of ingredients such as herbs and aromatics. A classical French braising liquid usually starts with water or broth, carrots, onions, celery, the classic mirepoix, which brings sweetness from the carrots and onion and tanginess and a little bit of uh, zest or sourness, if you would say, from the celery for the balance. Bay leaf is a must when it comes to your aromatic. Why? Because it's a dry herb and in the braising process, it moistens itself and releases its flavor. And thyme or rosemary, depending on what you're using. If you're using pork, you can also add sage. But again, the classics only give you details to follow until you're comfortable with creating those details by yourself. If you do not like thyme, Don't use it. The time police will not arrest you, I assure you. You will not get a warrant for your arrest if you use bay leaf or you don't like bay leaf. It doesn't matter. Make it yours. Use the technique. So again, I'm going to go back and go walk you through this braising process. Braising is when we sear an ingredient, we place it in a roasting pan, we add a little bit of flavored liquid with the help of some ingredients to the bottom, And we place it in a slow oven and cook it for a long time. Keep braising and keep loving those ingredients. And another thing about braising is you can always create the flavors and the ingredients together and just put them in the oven the morning of the event and have it completely ready for yourself at the end. If you would like more of Chef Becker's recipes and food tips, go to ellenbecker.com and click under the resource tab.